This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. How's it, Zanzi, and welcome to Season 2 of Farmer's Inside Track. We unashamedly salute the unsung heroes of agriculture and we believe in the power of agriculture to create social cohesion. My name is Dawn Numdu and I'm the editor of Food for Mzanzi. And with me, I have Kubus Lawrence, the co-founder of South Africa's leading agricultural and lifestyle news platform. Hello, Kubus. Hi, Dawn. How's it going? It's going very well, thank <laughs> you. I'm really enjoying this um, second season of our podcast where we're focusing on climate issues and also all kinds of green and regenerative farming methods. Kubus, I also have to admit that the response we've received since we started Farmers Inside Track has also been really amazing. And connecting with all the farmers who've inspired us has also been a hell of a ride. Our second season, like you said, is focusing on smart agriculture. Like I said, also, it's new to me, but it's been a real eye-opener. Yeah, definitely. I'm really excited about how Farmers Inside Track is going. We were a bit apprehensive when we created the Facebook group that no one would come and that no one would participate. But the past couple of weeks, it really has ignited. It's become it's come alive with conversation and people offering help and asking questions. So that's really great. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. On to our guest for today is Tsepo Morokong, Senior Agricultural Economist at the Western Cape Department of Agriculture. Welcome Tsepo to Farmers Inside Track. Thank you Don, uh, thank you Kubas, uh, I'm really thankful for the invitation and I greet the listeners at home. Just in general, how did you become an agricultural economist? I've met a few but I haven't really asked them that question. Where did it all start for you? Yes, it can be traced back to my home in Hamanskral where I grew up. I grew up in an area where people practiced subsistence farming and uh, also used to sow maize meal. And in some areas would have a few exceptional cases of farmers who were doing well commercially. But then when I had to pursue my uh, university studies, my focus was on studying medical science. But then when I was in my first year of BSc, uh, working in the laboratory, I realized that this is not something that I would like to pursue. And so making an introspection, I realized that uh, at home I used to plant and I'm interested in helping people and the business side of things. And so having to go through the university programs, agricultural economics as a program to pursue, it made more sense. And since I made the choice to study it and having completed, uh, I'm, I'm very happy I made that choice. It's amazing how many people we encounter who end up going back to agriculture or to working the land in some way and because of that exposure that they had when they were very small. I agree, Kubas. I think it builds further on something that you've got a better frame of reference about and it helps you to build your knowledge on it. And I think also issues of food insecurity in our country and 
they kind of make us realize how although our economy is developing and a lot of things are heading in the right direction but we still need to focus on the basics and agriculture is one of those and your background is quite extensive you've been to a number of companies and you've worked in in a number of sectors as well in, in within agriculture just elaborate a bit about your experience the whole issue about unemployment in the country i think as we kind of finished our studies in the years 2000 and on we had two kind of face challenges allocate the right jobs but then one advice i got from my university lecturers for undergrad they said to me immediately finish your first degree don't pursue high paying jobs or any of those the first thing you should seek is relevant job experience and once you've got that then we can speak about other things so i ended up working in the financial sector I was with government as an intern I joined an NGO called Conservation South Africa which is an affiliate organization of Conservation International which is based in the US and I also worked for an organization called Asset Research as a natural resource economist worked with them for some time then later on that's when I got appointed at the Western Cape Department of Agriculture and Next month is going to be officially my second year working there. Wow. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> so you've obviously got a very wide perspective specifically on climate issues and conservation issues and combining that with agriculture. So you're the perfect guy to ask a bit about the existing impact and potential impact of climate change to the South African economy and, and the agri economy. Yes, Kobas, I got exposed earlier on uh, having worked with Conservation South Africa because their primary focus was around that. What we observe in the past few years is the increased frequency and intensity of extreme uh, weather conditions and within an agricultural space that played out in the form of droughts and look at our summer set rainfall regions like our summer rainfall regions there was a decline in terms of maize and oilseed production and in 2015-2016 and also the most recent case was in the western cape we saw what happened 2016 up to 2018 when we faced the worst drought ever recorded like in more than a century and the impact of that when you try to quantify it is quite mind boggling agriculture is not just limited to what's happening within the farms post the farm gate there's a lot of value addition that is taking place so the signs are there irregular like a change in rainfall distribution pests and and disease outbreaks and so there are so many signs that we can see that it's not business as usual when it comes to climate and you think it's beyond the point where the doubters can say you know no there's always drought or you know droughts happen every now and again do you think it's clear that we are dealing with the effects of a planetary crisis relating it to agriculture i think it's very important to kind of refocus and say but then what is our objective in terms of agriculture and i think agriculture addresses one of the critical things which is food security and when you try to look at south africa in comparison to other countries how it it competes like how it performs in terms of ensuring that there's food in the country we are ranked as the 48th country in terms of food security from a total of about 113 countries and when you unpack this type of index which was ranking us you discover that indicators that they've used include availability of food affordability of food and food safety and quality although availability of food is one of the indicators that has kind of performed well but affordability as well as the safety and quality of food are the two indicators which kind of drew us back so when you've got a country like that and you experience something like climate change you end up with agricultural production which is declining 
And with declining agricultural production, it doesn't mean the demand is going to go down. Mm-hmm. People still continue to want food. And increased demand and short supply kind of makes the prices to go up. Like you automatically have affordability issue goes even higher. And so I think it's one of those things that you, you often don't want to reduce it to an academic theoretical discussion and all of that. And you want to look at what's happening on the ground and how can we make sure that everyone has access to food and yeah. that our country's food secure. So what could smaller scale farmers or startup farmers and agribusiness actually do to solve this problem or to mitigate the risks of climate change and how it affects them? It's interesting to mention like smallholder farmers like in South Africa because our agricultural sector is dualistic in nature. You know, you've got your highly commercialized sector and you've got smallholder farmers, which most of them are located in the former homelands and some of them they farm purely for, for subsistence and some they farm for subsistence and with a bit of surplus they sell it for the market. And there are those who are doing quite well who are now trying to transition from just being subsistence into emerging farmers and supply the market and so on. But one of the things that characterize this typology of farmers, like smallholder farmers and so on, is that they have got limited access to support services in the form of capital. Because of that subsequent, the lack of capital, they can't afford to take insurance for, for their agricultural farming activities and so on. So as a way of trying to manage the risk of climate change, there are other simpler approaches which they can adopt. This involves having to diversify their farming operations. And when they maybe go into livestock farming, instead of trying to buy cattle and just farm it all the way until it is ready for the market, they can look after a a pregnant one. Mm -hmm. And then when it gives birth, they sell the owl to the feedlot for it to be value-added, something like that. And also, when it comes to crops, they can look at using techniques such as uh, conservation agriculture, where they make sure that there's minimal disturbance to the soil and these cover crops which they apply, and they diversify or alternate the types of crops that they plant on their farms. So those are like some of the things that they can do. One can never underestimate the importance of having to invest in knowledge of what is happening in the sector, what are some of the other smallholder farmers doing. And I think that one, it kind of also helps them to identify specific areas within their farms which they can invest in. And also collaborating with others, it helps as well in terms of pooling resources if they want to raise capital for certain activities they stand a good chance of having to start and continue with farming based on sound agricultural practices. Whereas for others who've been long in the sector who are used to practicing non-sustainable agricultural practices, it could present a bit of a challenge having to transition to something that is more in harmony with ecosystem okay. goods and services that are taking place. So you're saying that you guys actually have the the advantage of not having all this, having invested in doing things a certain way for a for a long for a long time so they could they can be much more agile and and um, start doing it the new way you know from the start yes regenerative agriculture what they also call it in most discussions this thing is framed is that you've got in the midst of climate change agricultural farming practices need to kind of adapt to the change if Already you are on a large scale. Adapting can mean something else compared to somebody who's just in a small scale farming enterprise or somebody who's just a startup farmer who will just have to decide from the onset and be proactive to say, look, I'm going to approach and use this conservation type of farming practices when I produce my agricultural products. 
It's and easier to turn a small ship than a... Than a big one. And also mitigation. I think one trying to be proactive to say in the event that something extreme happens, how can I kind of build the resilience of my farming enterprise to be able to handle that? And I think for also startup farmers, that's one of the most important things which they need to, to factor in because agriculture is inherently risky and proactive or more mitigative approaches can involve having to make sure that they take stock of their resource base within the farm. And after they've done that in their way of planting and their way of irrigation, they try to optimize whatever they have, the little they have, and continually grow with it. And are there any opportunities in terms of what we're currently dealing with at the moment? Is there any potential business opportunities or alternative agricultural ventures? You just spoke about regenerative farmers and small-scale farmers being able to tap into that easier than larger-scale farmers. But what are the practical things and are there any opportunities within the economy that they can tap into? To reiterate the other point that like already we are not yet food secure in, in the country and what this tells us is that there is still much demand for agricultural uh, products. One of the key areas which I feel like smallholder farmers can be able to tackle is focusing on exotic agricultural products like maybe your, your blueberries and all of those which are high value crops and having to identify niche markets where they can be able to sell their produce. Although these types of agricultural enterprises, I should say that they require high startup capital, they are very intensive. They may not present themselves as an option for smallholder farmers who, who don't have capital. For those who may be willing to kind of, they can look at some of the indigenous crops that we have in harmony somehow with the types of climate in the areas where they produce. It will not require as much input as it would if they would try to grow something elsewhere from where it, it is originally acclimatized to. So what you're saying is <laughs> we've got a problem, but maybe the smaller guys are actually quite well positioned to face the problem. And there's also some opportunities in there, but the bottom line is we need to work smarter. Yes, a mixed message. Just to streamline it, so I think there's potential for smallholder farmers and it will require a lot of innovation, a lot of investment in knowledge and also trying to make sure that the area where they are farming, they have a look at the opportunity cost of using that land for different things and they kind of stick to the one which has the highest returns if they were to dedicate that area for farming. And also having to diversify their incomes as well is one of the things I think that can be able to to carry them in the process. Keeping the technological aspects in mind, in terms of infrastructure, technological advancements and agricultural practices, how does South Africa compare to the rest of the world? Thanks Don for that question. So there was a recent report produced by the World Global Competitiveness Organization. According to that report, South Africa was ranked as the 60th country in, in terms of uh, having proper infrastructure. But the type of infrastructure they looked at was the road infrastructure and also utility infrastructure. And so by road, they looked at ease of connectivity from one point to the other, uh, services offered by the train, the, the densities of people who use the trains, and utilities, is electricity, as well as the quality of it and how reliable it is and the like. There's still a lot of scope for us to grow as a country in terms of improving our infrastructure compared to most of the countries we fare well because the comparison was also with countries that are up the north hemisphere and the US and all of those places. In terms of technology, there was a study commissioned by the Western Cape Department of Agriculture 
trying to kind of contextualize agriculture amidst the fourth industrial revolution. And so it became clear that new technologies are going to be crucial moving forward in terms of dealing with issues of climate change. You will need new varieties of seeds, you will need more uh, like irrigation systems that will enable us to practice precision agriculture and also the data for us to make informed decisions, having to rely on satellite imagery and so collect data. So with all the data collection, we see like improve optimized solutions that will help us operate farms. And I think this is also something that is going to attract a lot of young people who are at tech savvy, who, who might find it interesting to, to work with this. And we've seen farmers in some of the platforms where we engage and so on, they've started using driverless tractors. I mean, something which is quite interesting. We've seen farmers who went abroad in developed economies to see what are some of the technologies that are being used and so on. But it feels like we have not yet fully taken advantage of these opportunities of having to employ the new technology and also the type of expertise which will be required in primary agriculture in order to fully utilize these types of technologies are some of the things which we need to look into. And also the cost factor is one of the things which it could be a limiting factor for people to use those technologies. But I think they are crucially important if we are going to be able to adapt and mitigate against the impacts of climate change. And Sepo, I can't let you go without asking what your predictions are in terms of 10 years, 20 years, considering the effects of climate change on agriculture within South Africa. One of the things that is certain is that we'll still have demand for agricultural produce. And we also expect that South Africa's production of maize will continue to improve because we saw that there was a decline induced by the drought and more especially white maize meal because it's one of the basic staples that are consumed by people in South Africa. We also expect to see the agricultural sector within the Western Cape improving as farmers start building back their livestock and yes, to be able to like supply the market and the like. In terms of the climate, most of the predictions or studies which have been conducted on the subject show that we still expect the temperatures to continue becoming warm. And for the Western Cape in particular, there's one study that indicated that warming is expected to be around 1.5 to 3 degrees Celsius by 2050. One can never be certain about what's going to happen in the future. And in economics, you know, we always work with concept called ceteris peribus, holding other things constant. <laughs> this is what might happen, but then we just have to be hopeful. And I do our bit to make sure we build the resilience of the farming enterprises where we produce food. I think that will yield quite high dividends because without doing that, like the capacity of farms to be able to withstand the shocks is going to take us back as a country in terms of food security, sustainability of food security and so on. I think that about brings us to the end of today's discussion. Definitely a lot of insight for me, Kobus. Definitely. It was a pleasure meeting you, Chepo. Thank you for sharing your insights. You're welcome. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you liked it, like and review us. It will definitely allow us to connect to more people who would like to listen as well. Obviously do that on your favorite platform, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, go for it. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track Podcast, supported by Food Form Zanzi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.